On this episode, lessons in leadership from Calvin Klein's former CEO. I was always, I think, pretty adept at getting at a high level, simplifying the problems, and developing a course of action. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Tom Murray tells us how he was able to take the company to nearly $8 billion in retail profit while maintaining the brand's iconic style. Our business was growing so rapidly, it was a challenge to stay true to what you are and have a huge commercial success. That's a tough balancing act. And now, here's my interview with Tom Murray. All right, Tom, welcome to the podcast. First off, can we start by you just kind of giving us your your background and introducing yourself? Okay, thank you, Randy. Yes, as you know, I was the CEO of Calvin Klein for 17 years, uh, but I spent my entire work history career, the whole thing was somehow related to the fashion industry. Okay. It started back when I was in uh, junior high school. I always worked in men's stores after school and during the summers. I uh, enjoyed fashion, I enjoyed clothing. And I just stayed with it. And throughout all of high school and college and after I graduated, and then I began working with, you know, I started with head ski and sportswear and merchandising and then in sales, went to Tahari. I was the president of Tahari Women's for seven years. And then I went over to Calvin Klein and I finished my career out at Calvin Klein. So I was reading about you and it said that you also were on an oil rig at one point. It sounds very different from the clothing industry. Yeah, well, that was a summer job from college. <laughs> okay. Uh, my father was an oil executive. He was friendly with the guy that owned Kerr McGee. It was the CEO of Kerr McGee, which owned all these offshore drilling rigs. For summer jobs, they paid very well. It was $500 a week. And back in those days, it was that was a lot of money. You're one week on and one week off. So I went out there. It was three hours of boat ride. Uh, out in the south of Cameron, Louisiana. Okay. It was a stormy day, and I got seasick. So did everybody else on the boat, including the captain. And we got to the drilling rig. I had brand-new clothes, brand-new helmet, and you know, I got off. And I was the only non-Cajun on the uh, <laughs> on the rig, or on, actually, to be more accurate, on the tender, which is attracted attached to the rig right and i was called a roustabout that's what you did and you moved material from work boats up to the tender and then ultimately onto the drilling rig so i was involved with that it was very very hard work and very very dangerous work Mm -hmm. i don't think my dad would have gotten me the job out there if he had realized how dangerous it was i mean it was not unusual uh, to get killed out there and so Mm. uh, i spent the entire summer working out there and it was uh, an experience i'll never forget it had a lot to do with teamwork and hard work. Quick story, uh, first night I was there, the other roustabouts, the uh, Cajuns, mm-hmm. started pushing me back and forth in the shower. And I had long hair, and it was back in the 70s and the <laughs> whole thing, and they started calling me Antoinette. And so, you know, I thought, this is, this is a little scary. I mean, I could actually die out here because people fall overboard all the time. And so I was a wrestler in college, so I was a pretty tough kid. So I started fighting back. Long story short, I won the respect. It happened almost immediately, and we became we became friendly. Mm-hmm. We worked together as a team because it was so dangerous. You had to watch out for each other, mm-hmm. and um, you know I learned a lot about a, a teamwork, hard work, and getting along with a diverse group of people, and and uh, fitting into that environment. 
was an experience that um, I'll never ma- I'll never forget, and I made a lot of money for a summer job too. Yeah, they have to pay you pretty well, considering you might die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how do you go from, you know, working, it sounds like you're, you're working in fashion and apparel. How do you go from just working in it to becoming the CEO of one of the most recognizable apparel companies in the world? The uh, I think you have to go clear back to uh, a job that I had with College Town, which was a very large women's apparel maker back in the 70s. Okay. It was $200 million plus, and it was, uh, it was a big, successful. At that time, it was uh, one of the top three in the industry in women's apparel in the department stores. And the CEO of that company and the son of the founder was a gentleman named Arthur Sibley. And he thought that I had the potential maybe to some to replace him someday. So he gave me a one-year period of time to, to go from every department in the company, from one to the next, to do nothing but learn. I went from accounting to merchandising to manufacturing to distribution to international sourcing, you name it. I I experienced it in that one year period and it was total immersion. So at the end of that time, I had, uh, as I said, it's kind of the equivalent of a PhD in the apparel industry. I stayed with that company. I ended up in uh, New York, head of marketing. And so that I stayed there for uh, about five years altogether. And uh, it was an experience that I, I think was irreplaceable for me and really gave me the tools I needed to succeed not long term in the uh, in the apparel industry. So that sounds like if you're just coming into this and someone's like, go around and audit all the different departments of my my company. How did you go about that? And what kind of things did you show him to really show that you were someone who was meant to go higher? Well, I had been in sales prior to that, and I was in uh, a territory uh, out on the West Coast and in uh, Los Angeles, and we were experiencing like 50% growth a year. We mm-hmm. had a, a great track record. I had a partner in that business. And so, his, as I said, his name was Arthur Sibley. So he recognized potential in me. We had a series of meetings, and then he transferred me up to uh, Braintree, Massachusetts, which is where the company was headquartered. And that's where I went through that one year uh, learning experience with him. And that's really how it happened. And so what kind of things did you tell him about his own company that really stood out to him that allowed you to move up? Well, I didn't have any criticism for the company because it was it was a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. I mean, we shipped high-quality product on time, fit well, the value was great, it was merchandised well for the target consumer. I mean, it was just a, a great prototype at that time for an apparel company. And as, you know, the growth was great. The profitability was, was really good. It was perfect learning environment for me. I was really lucky to have been able to experience that at the, at the time that I did in my, in my career. You know, a lot of people are wondering because I feel like everyone likes to think that their organization is a well-oiled machine. And it sounds like this one was. What about it made it a well-oiled machine? And was that something that you tried to replicate, that kind of culture or environment that made them run as efficiently as they did? Well, I think it always starts with talent and experience in the employees that are there. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a great team of people there. They all had a lot of experience in the appropriate areas historically in their careers. It was also a good team environment. And that's something, if you've read any of the things I've talked about, team culture has always been very important to me. And I started, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I learned a lot about that in a brief, brief period of time on the offshore drilling rig. Mm-hmm. But I also learned a lot of it at College Town in Braintree because it was a very, very large organization, a lot of employees, 
a lot of moving parts and everybody had to function you know well in their own department but they had to interact well with others and it really was important to function as a team mm -hmm. and we did and we were successful and uh, like i said i wouldn't trade that experience for anything i would think also it'd be easy if you're trying to get people to understand what it is they're coming together to do it's probably easy in the apparel industry because you can say you know you source this from there, you put it together, and this is the finished product we have, and, and you're the team that's going to sell it and market it and put it out there to the world. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of different people, a lot of different teams involved. I mean, it's like any industry, but, you know, in the apparel industry, you start with design mm -hmm. and, you know, sketches and sourcing and all the rest of that. It goes from design to samples, and the samples go out to the sales force. We were mostly, a, we were almost entirely a wholesale business back in that later in my career i got involved in a combination of wholesale and retail but the college town experience was except for some outlet stores was entirely a wholesale business so as i said it started with design went to merchandising merchandising is all about making sure that the product is appropriate for the target consumer that requires a lot of research monitoring regular price sell-throughs because at the end of the day that's how everybody makes money with regular price sell-through that's what drives profit. The fundamentals of any business, I think, are basically the same. In our industry, you had to ship a quality product, you had to ship it on time, it had to be appropriately priced, and it had to be targeted for the target consumer. It had to be well merchandised for the target consumer. Because as I said a moment ago, it's about regular price sell-through. That creates profitability, and that's why it works. And if you fall down on any of those fundamentals, it doesn't work, and mm -hmm. you don't make money, and then you don't stay around for very long. Yeah, I know we're talking about the apparel industry, but I feel like a lot of those principles can be applied to almost any product or service that's being sold. You have to start by researching who you're trying to reach and then building the right team to create it and then pricing it appropriately and marketing and all that stuff. So it sounds like that's something that really applies to anywhere. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think the fundamentals apply to any industry that you're involved with. And so from there, where'd you go? Well, I went from a uh, college town. I joined a partner and we actually owned and operated a small business called Intuitions. Okay. And that one didn't work out very well. We didn't do proper due diligence. The company was, lose, was losing money, but according to the accounting that we had, it wasn't making money, it was losing money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was a not good due diligence, but it was a great learning experience. That company ultimately failed. And I was a little bit down and out. I was about 40 years old. Mm -hmm. And so I went back and uh, I said, you know what, this, I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm going to find another job. I'm going to do well in it. And I did. I came out of it and very quickly became president of a company called Tahari. Ellie Tahari is still a good friend of mine. It's one of the more successful women's businesses in the United States and now global also. And so I was there for seven years and I got recruited to become CEO, actually started as COO of Calvin Klein, ultimately became CEO. And as I said, was there for 17 years. We had amazing growth. During the time I was there, the business grew from 2.8 billion at retail to 7.7 .7 billion at retail. It was a great success story, a lot of fun for me. It was a, a wonderful experience. So I wanna go into all of that, but I think it's really interesting and probably worth spending a little time on just talking about, you've come from a situation where you've always been successful and then you come into another situation where it doesn't quite work out. I'm sure there's lots of lessons that you learned from that that you brought to the future ventures that you went to. What were some of the biggest lessons that you learned you know, from a failing, which is, which is okay because it's, it's just a way of learning, I feel like. What were some of the biggest lessons you learned from that that you then took forward? 
simply put, the most important lesson was keep going. Initially, you're going to get disillusioned and maybe depressed and down a little bit, as I mentioned a moment ago, but you got to keep going. You got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, jump back in the game again and keep going. And that's what I've done. You know, I mean, not every day of my entire career has been wonderful and fun and successful. That's just not life. Right. But whatever, whatever was happening and whatever I was going through, uh, I just kept remembering those two words, keep going. And I, I still do that today, even though I'm fortunate and comfortably retired, married for 44 years to the love of my life, living in Palm Beach and uh, everything's great, but not every day is perfect. Mm-hmm. So you got to always remember, keep going. What do you think was the, the qualities that Calvin Klein saw in you that made it to where they wanted to recruit you as the CEO? What, what do you think that you had gained over your experience that made you the perfect candidate? Really a lot of things. I think, first of all, was my track record. You know, a lot of growth in all of my previous jobs, except for that, you know, that one experience that I described to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a very good initial meeting with Calvin himself. And we just sort of hit it off and clicked. And, and I've always been a huge admirer of him. And being able to work closely with Calvin for eight years was really, if not the highlight, one of the highlights of my career. He was a true genius, true visionary. And that was uh, incredible. But I think that we had our first meeting, I thought, was really a, a kind of an opportunity to bond. I mean, he knew a lot about me and had, mm-hmm. had some strong recommendations from me. And I was able to converse with him and talk with him a lot about his history and how much I admired him for the, his vision and what he'd been able to do, whether it was uh, discovering Marky Mark and, you know, and all <laughs> of the different kinds of things that he did over the years were just so visionary. As I said, he was such a genius. It was just unbelievable for me to have that opportunity. I don't know much about the apparel industry, sorry to say. So he was still involved in the company at that point as kind of like a creative. When I first joined the company, he and he and Barry Schwartz were still 50-50 owners of the of the business. Okay. And Barry Schwartz was the CEO and I was the COO, president and COO. Calvin was uh, of course the creative director and the designer and mm-hmm. did all the marketing and advertising and chose the photographers and did the concepts and all of that. And so, you know, that, that was uh, for a period of time. We had about eight years together, as I said. And then Phil Van Heusen bought Calvin Klein in 2002. Okay. And so Calvin stayed along as, a, as an advisor for, I believe it was a, about a year. Uh, and then he went, went his own way. But that was that's kind of the background on that. Getting to know Calvin Klein, we've talked about some of his accomplishments here. You know, you getting to know him. What do you think was it that made him somebody who's, you know, you can say that name to anybody and they'll instantly think about, you know, the work that he's done. What made him that kind of person? Well, I think uh, it's it's more about the work that created what you just described. He was such a visionary. You know, he really established a kind of clean, modern, minimalist, timeless, tasteful design concept. I mean, that's really what Calvin Klein stood for. Mm-hmm. And that's what it stood for for many, many years. I mean, now it's branched off a little bit. They're trying some experimenting with some different things and, you know, that's fine, but that's really not what uh, Calvin was about. And that's not what, what he stood for. And that's Mm -hmm. really not what the brand DNA was until, until recently, as I said, it's beginning to evolve a little bit. Uh, And that's, that's okay too. You know, you have to experiment over time. Mm -hmm. And so you, you step into this company with this legendary leader and you're working with him and other people how did you first uh, approach it? And, you know, I've, you've, I've heard from your bio that you had great success. How did you 
take steps to get that success in the company? Well, I think it, maybe I should go back to a part of the initial conversation that Calvin and I had uh, in, in his apartment before he hired me. He said, what are you going to do to make us more successful? Mm-hmm. And so I decided to talk about something that I learned in, in merchandising. And I said, well, Calvin, here's what we're going to do. I said, we're going to hang up all the things that did sell on one side of the showroom, and we're going to hang up all the things that didn't sell on the other side of the show. <laughs> and we're going to make more of the stuff that did sell and left less of the stuff that didn't sell. So you couldn't <laughs> be more simplistic than that. But that's it, fundamentally, that's at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. You know, and he looked at me for a minute and stared at me. And I thought, you know, he's either going to say, you must be out of your mind, <laughs> or who knows what he's going to say. And he sat there and thought about it for a minute. And he looked at me and said, you know, you're right. And that's exactly what we did. I got involved in the business because that's merchandise. Mm-hmm. Got involved in the business. And that's the most important thing, I believe, that I contributed to the Calvin Klein brand in those days. And I really believe, you know, my team and I, that's what we did. And that's the way we were able to grow that business to the extent that we did. I think it's, that's how it happened. We'll be right back. The High Performance Leadership Podcast is also sponsored by Principles of High Performance Leadership, the book by Chip Wilson. The first 100 people to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast get the book for free. That's right, free book. Go to 360solutions.com for more information. I feel like a lot of the best leaders that I've met over the years they kind of look at a problem and they go, this looks like a very complex problem, but what would it look like if it were simple? And try and boil things down to their their core elements. And that's when they really get at the problem and they can really start to make inroads in fixing them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's an important part to, to problem solving. You have to be able to not look at it at 5,000 feet. You need to be able to look at it from 30,000 feet. In effect, you have to you have to simplify it to understand how to get your arm arms around it and make the corrections that are needed or else you'll you'll just get involved in noise to move forward and make intelligent decisions so mm-hmm. i was always i think pretty adept at that getting getting it at a high level simplifying the problems and developing a course of action when you came into the organization how big of an organization were we talking well we had you know hundreds of employees mm-hmm. but at that time we were more of a licensing model than an operating model. Okay. So we didn't need as many people as, as you do in an operating model. Over time, we evolved and began to own, own and operate more businesses. And in t- today, TBH has, has acquired most of what were licensed businesses, and now they're operating businesses. And they continue to be very successful. Manny Sharico continues to be a good friend. He was my boss after the PBH acquisition. He's just done an amazing job there and continues to. But I think that that's, that's that, you know, back to problem solving, it's getting at a high enough level to be able to sim- simplify and look at the important fundamentals and not get caught up in all of the noise and not be able to execute effectively. And so was the, the idea of kind of simplifying and saying, we're going to sell the things that sell and avoid the things that don't, was that the main strategy you had or what other kind of avenues and strategies did you look at to kind of grow the company like you did? That was the product piece, right. which is extremely important mm-hmm. because if you don't have the right product, you don't have anything. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I've always worked very hard on all the others. Advertising and marketing is a very key component for Calvin Klein, always has been. My major in college was a major in psychology with a minor in marketing. I opened an advertising agency when I was still in college. 
And so I've always thought a lot about advertising and marketing, which is a very important part of supporting the product. Mm -hmm. But again, it goes back to those fundamentals. You have to know who the target consumer is to be able to advertise and market appropriately. And once you do that, then it all begins to come together. But you can't do one piece. You've got to do the whole the whole thing or you're not going to have a success on your hand. Uh, this may be non sequitur to all this, but whose idea was the, the campaign? I, I don't know exactly what years it was, but like the, the black and white people in jeans, close up shots of people. That's kind of like iconic in my mind when I think about like the look of Calvin Klein. Yeah, that was that was actually uh, a CK. That was CK advertising. Okay. And we worked with so many different, that might've been Bruce Weber. I I want to say that because I'm not quite sure. We worked uh, with so many different photographers and stylists over that time frame. but Calvin was very involved in that campaign. And that was, uh, you know, iconic and everybody, like you just said yourself, everybody seems to remember that. And even today, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really timeless advertising and marketing. As you were saying, too, you know, when I think about the ad, the thing that comes to mind for me is like the background was just blank. You know, there wasn't really a set per se. It was just a, you know, a white background, I believe. And then, you know, people with denim. So it was a very much like a timeless kind of American type of look to it. Right. That's what he's going for. Oh, Exactly. Okay. And, you know, that's that's kind of what Calvin was all about, simplicity and, you know, beauty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was kind of the his original concept, his original theme. And he kind of stuck with it for all those years. And we continued after Calvin was gone. You know, I had almost all the same people in marketing and design that he had had. And they stayed with me the whole time I was there and, until I retired. Did you kind of think through things through the lens of like, how would Calvin do this? Always, always. I always thought of things that way. And I think that um, when I was there, and certainly I worked hard to be on the same page he was on. I think that we had a great rapport together and it it just clicked. But after he stepped aside and retired, I always used to think, and I used to have lunches with Calvin and try try to stay tuned in and try to understand, you know, what kind of things would he be doing? Would he be doing what I was doing? And our, our business was growing so rapidly. It was a challenge to stay true to what you are and have a huge commercial success. That's a tough balancing act. Mm-hmm. But I worked very hard, my team worked very hard uh, to maintain that. And I think that we did a good job of that. When do you think you really started to see a lot of success from the time you started in the company? You know, you obviously grew it a ton. So when did you start to see that success and what do you attribute that to mostly? Well, I, I think I started to see the, the, the big growth occur about uh, a year after I, I became COO and my first came there. And I think a big part of the, uh, the growth in the beginning was with the licensees. Mm-hmm. And because we signed a bunch of licenses that people, you know, licensees that were very well qualified, that had a track record of de- delivering product on time and executing well and consistent fit, all the things that I talked about before. And so we signed up quite a few of those. And the growth there, the growth was really huge during that time frame. And the, as I said, the big growth occurred with the licensees. I hear you have a new book coming out, and I, I thought it was kind of an interesting concept, and it probably fits well with apparel, and I'm assuming this is why you did this, that you know people talk about an employee being a good fit for a company, and you say, no, they should be a great fit. And I think that also yeah. plays into Calvin Klein being, you know, it fits really great on you when you wear it. So how did you come up with that concept? Well, I have to give some of that credit to the ghostwriters, editors that I had that, that helped me with the book. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a writer, 
you know, I can I can dictate, and, but the, the writers came back with it. But Kevin Anderson and Associates, I retained to get the book written and to get it out there. And they were very helpful. And, you know, they came up with the name, uh, you know, they came up with the name A Great Fit. And I thought it made a lot of sense because it's not only, in, in, you know, we, at Calvin Klein, we had hand-tailored suits from Italy, which uh, I still have today and I still wear. Mm-hmm. That's a great fit, but it was also a great fit for the job. So it was great dualism there and I thought that it was very clever so that's what we went with and so tell me what is the great fit in a, in a organization with employees what does that mean to you well for me it means that you know I'm back to team players it means having a great team everybody has to fit together and do their part you know it's like a complex piece of machinery and everybody plays an important role but it's got to be a team effort or it just doesn't work and we, I always was fortunate to have, you know, a great team culture, a lot of talent. So you got to surround yourself with people that have talent and experience. And if you have that and you work hard as a team, you're probably going to be successful. At least that was my experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what I believe made it happen. And if you don't have that, at least from my perspective, you're going to have a hard time being successful over time. You know, let's be honest, it's not always a great fit. And you sometimes have situations where people in your organization aren't the best fit for the position you're looking for. How, how do you deal with that and how do you overcome those challenges of someone who's not a great fit? Well, you're right. Uh, obviously, it's not always going to be a great fit. Sometimes you're going to have people that don't fit in. And we didn't have that very often. But when we did have it, I had to make a change. You know, I had to replace that person with somebody that had that, that was a great fit. And, you know, I didn't hesitate to do that because it was not fair to the team to keep somebody involved in the organization that was not a great fit and was not a great team player, was not pulling their weight, didn't have the talent and experience to be part of our team. And so, yes, I did have to make those changes from time to time. So if you're looking for somebody to to fill a position, especially like maybe on a, on a senior team or something like that, what are some of the things that you look for in someone to be a great fit for your company? Well, I look at the track record. I look at where they were and how long they were there, that's what was always a very important thing to me, is, is tenacity. If I, saw an, if I saw a resume with somebody two years here, two years there, one year here, I already lost interest. And I know that sometimes that's a mistake because you get somebody that has a lot of growth potential. But for me, for my purposes, longevity was very important characteristic uh, aspect of their, of their work history. And it worked very well for me. So I didn't, I didn't hire people that hadn't stayed in places for extended period of time, extended periods of time. In my organization, people stayed for a long time. It wasn't unusual for people to have been there for 10, 15 years. Many of the people that were there when I retired had been there the entire 17 years. <laughs> so I think that was, um, I'm really, really proud of that. And I think it was a very key component to the success that we were able to experience over the years. How do you keep employees that long? How do they stay engaged and, and feel like they are really contributing for that long? I mean, there are a lot of things. I mean, one of the things, of course, is they have to be compensated fairly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always had a bonus structure, which I thought was was ample and fair and people that worked hard. I mean, the company did well. Everybody made great bonuses, uh, me included. And so I think that that's always in compensation is always an important piece. But then I think they had to feel good about coming to work. I think they had to enjoy work. I think they needed to enjoy interacting with the other people, the team, and, and they did. And I made sure of that. I mean, I, I think I was a pretty good manager in that regard. And, you know, we had, my door was always open. I had one-on-one with my direct reports, you know, weekly. And then we had a, a management meeting 
once once a week also, which we had around 12 people. We'd sit around the table and we would talk, each person would talk about what was going on in their part of the business. And then we would go all the way around the room and everybody was free to talk about, ask questions, bounce it back and forth. And those were very enjoyable meetings. And we learned, I learned a lot. Everybody in the table learned a lot. And, you know, I've talked to the people. I uh, had a, uh, a kind of a get together last February with all of my direct reports. We all came back together and had a big party up at the Carlisle in New York. We just had a wonderful time. And we talked about how much fun it was. And one of the, one of the things people talked about that night were those, those meetings that we had when we all sat around and talked about what was going on at their part of the business. And we shared experiences and ideas and stuff. So I think that that was, um, that, you know, compensation, team environment, having fun, working hard. We worked hard. Very work. Everybody worked very, very hard. I traveled all over the world all the time. Hmm. You know, I would go to 50 countries almost every single week. I was in some far place. I was in, uh, who knows? I was in China to India to you name it. I was there mm-hmm. because we had a big business all around the world. And, and a lot of my team traveled with me. And so we worked very hard, but we enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. That's what, really what made it all work. So you're saying in these meetings, you guys kind of talk about how the company's running in different areas. How do you foster a culture where people really are free to say exactly what they need to say in order to make sure the company runs well and not you know, be afraid of angering the boss or something like that? Well, I think that's just style. In this case, I was the boss and my style was very open. You know, I mean, the people that were there, we were on the same page. Now, we didn't, that doesn't mean we agreed about everything. But I respected them for their talent and experience. I would always listen. And sometimes I learned. Sometimes my point of view was wrong. And I learned from their point of view. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's back where that teamwork comes into play. And, and I worked hard to make it work. And it did work. And I think that's uh, not to be repetitive. But that was a very key ingredient to making a success for as long as it was. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's important for someone in a position like yourself where, you know, you've, you've had all this experience in the industry, you've been around for a long time. Is it easy or difficult to keep an open mind, especially in the regard that it may help your company if you listen to this new idea? Yeah, I don't think it's always easy to keep an open mind. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's sometimes easier to stay with your own convictions, which may or may not, may or may not be 100% on target. But I think you have to fight to, to make sure your mind is open to other, other members of the team's point of view uh, because you're not always right. I wasn't always right. I was right a lot of the time, but when I wasn't right, I was able to learn from people that I respected, and uh, I did. Actually, I continue to do it, even though I'm retired now. I, my, I don't always agree with my wife, although she normally wins whatever <laughs> disagreement we have, but I'm very open to uh, her point of view. I'm very open to anyone's point of view other than mine, because I'm not always right. If people are going to pick up this book, The Great Fit, we may have already gone over some of these points, but what are some of the major points and things that you hope they learn from this book? I think they'll learn humility. I think they'll learn to keep going. I think they'll learn that tenacity is um, very, very important. I put a lot of emphasis on longevity. As you know, I was in that job for 17 years. I don't think you see a lot of that anymore. And you know, if I had wanted to keep working, I would have just stayed there. I, I mean, when I left, I, I couldn't, I was enjoying my job a lot. We were successful. It just felt like it was uh, you know, long enough and it was time, time to go. But I think those are the kinds of things that they'll uh, get out of my book. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we've talked about most of it already, 
But uh, I hope that young, young people that are up and coming will benefit from the book. And I hope people that are you know, at a higher level in their careers can maybe learn from some of my success and failures. And I hope it'll be helpful to them as well. So we've talked a lot about the fit of people in your organization. And I think another good component, because people tend to listen to podcasts like this a lot and they get a lot of great ideas, but they're bad at executing. And so I've, I've also seen that you have these uh, four principles to execution. So can you kind of talk about what those four principles are? Well, the principles in, in our industry were maybe slightly different than they would be in most industries. But I think the fundamentals are the same. And, you know, I always worked on the fact that you have to ship quality garment mm-hmm. because if you don't ship quality, it's one of the quickest ways you can you can downturn, you can impact negatively the image of the brand. Right. You have to ship that quality product on time. Mm-hmm. It has to be on time or the retailers aren't going to make money with it or your in-house retailers or external retailers aren't going to make money with it because they're not going to have enough time to sell it through before they mark it down. It has to fit. I mean, that's incredibly important in our industry mm-hmm. because, you know, ask any consumer yourself or your wife, or your girlfriend or whomever it is, if they go in and buy a brand and it doesn't fit, let's say, let's say they're used to buying a size eight and a size eight fits and one time it doesn't, and the next time it does. And that's, that's, you know, fit right. consistency in our industry was always very important. It has to do with quality. And, you know, as I said on time, it's got to be well merchandised for the target consumer because that goes back to you have to give the customer what they want. At the end of the day, the customer is always the boss. It has to be well merchandised for the target consumer. Then it sells through. Then everybody makes money. Hmm. You know, the retailers make money, the wholesalers make money, and then it continues. And then it continues to grow. And those are the fun those are really the four fundamentals that I employed and my team employed to be able to experience the growth that we did. It sounds very simple. It's very simple to talk about the fundamentals, but it's very difficult to execute them consistently over time. (laughs) It's interesting because we have a lot of people who are also business consultants that work through um, the curriculum and the 360 solutions put together. And they'll come back and they'll say, oh, you know, we've we've been through this thing and, and the company really wants to hear more about some new idea or some new strategy. And he'll, Chip Wilson, our, our founder, will say, well, how are they doing on these fundamental concepts? Oh, well, you know, we talked about them and I think they're doing them. I'm not really sure, but they want some new content. And he's like, no, we really need to make sure they're executing on the fundamentals because that's going to have the, the biggest movement in their company. If they can really get that firm foundation, then everything else is going to be icing on the cake. But that's really going to make the machine move really smoothly if we have those fundamentals in place. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better. It sounds like you already read my book. <laughs> <laughs> One more time, if people are kind of thinking about the book, uh, we've been talking about that a lot, where's the best place they can find it? Yes, I think it's just, you know, all the traditional avenues, are, you know, be on bookstores and uh, various other places, wherever wherever you go, can go and buy your books. I mean, I, I, I think the distribution will be typical of uh, any other book. Do you have a, a website to learn more about you and your career? Yeah, sure. Uh, TomMurray.com is my website. And, uh, you know, people can go there and have a look and see what's going on and learn a little bit more about me. And uh, uh, so I invite anyone that is interested to have a look at TomMurray.com. All right, Tom. Well, it's been really good talking to you. And uh, I hope everyone will go out and get your book. And it's been really interesting learning about the apparel industry and all the great leadership advice you have. Randy, I enjoyed talking to you. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Make sure and subscribe via iTunes, give us a rating, and leave us a review. 
Tell everyone you know to do the same thing. The more subscriptions, ratings, and reviews we get, the higher iTunes rates us. Visit our website at hpleadershippodcast.com, tweet at us at twitter.com slash 360 underscore solutions, and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 360 solutions LLC. That's all together, no spaces. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.